0: Welcome listeners, I'm Miles Taylor, your host and the creator behind the Unspoken of Wall Street podcast. Join me as I sit down with remarkable minority leaders in the business world, peeling back the layers to discover the keys to their success in the fiercely competitive landscape. So lean in and savor your stories that often go untold. Enjoy. Okay. In this episode, Zach shares how he completed three internships in one year, passing the CFA exam, becoming an investment banking analyst at Raymond James, and now a PE associate at a mid-market fund. Listen to how he explains how he leveraged these experiences to get where he is now. Enjoy. All right, Zach. Episode two. You ready?
1: Yes, sir. What's good, boss man?
0: All right, man. I think it's good if you give listeners a quick summary of your bio. Uh,
1: Uh. Probably one of the main things worth mentioning is Aruz is born and raised in Mississippi. Uh, a lot of people from the U.S. know that's, like, least educated, um, you know, most impoverished. Uh, however, one of the unique one of the unique things about growing up in Mississippi is you kind of see the the worst case and best case of everything. For instance, you got people that become Oprah Winfrey and Elvis Presley that was born in Mississippi. But unfortunately, you grew up on a playground where you got to, like, fight at some point. Uh, yeah. By age nine, I had already met people that had got shot, robbed was in jail. It, it Everything that's considered explicit on TV. So you kind of got kind of got to see everything. And uh, in this sort of rougher environment, I had two parents that were birth first generation college students. So my mom went to Mississippi State became a mechanical engineer. Mm-hmm. My dad went to Mississippi State became a food scientist. And my dad taught me a lot of hard work. My mom taught me how to rewrite and do math before I even finished pre K. And so you know, all she had me crushing it in class, like always yeah. getting straight A's. And also the part of mississippi i was in the mississippi delta sort of home of the blues there was this unique inner city school i went to where they grouped like top decile and bottom decile students together so mm-hmm. i was fortunately top decile given my mom but i was always around people who were sort of struggling academically however what that taught me was how like people who don't have the best tools and resources still have something in them and like mm-hmm. a lot of them became first-generation college students And so like, like seeing stuff like that, it gave me a lot of organic injury to, to help in any way that I could. Like people who come from (laughs) underrepresented backgrounds or financial struggles, like trying to help them succeed is like one of my, one of my main missions in life and is very tied into why I did invest in, which will probably come, come down the line later. So, um, so two, two things to note about the personal backstory. One is parents were very educated in a rough environment Two, Got to see the best and worst of everything. And then three, I remember. I was being around adults and I would have questions about business, like how the economy works, why stock goes up or down. They would just say quest They would say phrases like man, uh, uncle Sam. But then I met a business owner for the first time, which was one of my dad's friends named Mr. Monty told me why real estate was more expensive in New York than Mississippi, how my favorite burger place could go out of business. And it just like cracked my little mind open. And I was like, I want to understand every single bit of that. Uh, yeah. so.
0: Awesome. Awesome, man. That's good. I like that humble beginnings. So take me through, where did you go to college?
1: I went to a a school called Harding University. It's a small Christian college in Searcy, Arkansas, surrounded by a bunch of farms.
0: Yeah. And why'd you go there? What was your decision process in going there?
1: Yeah. Grew up in a very Christian household. Harding's very Christian, Church of Christ to be exact, which is how I got exposed to it. But I remember when I was looking at different colleges, I was looking at state schools but what stuck out about Harding was the relationships between the professors and the students. So, mm-hmm. the same people teaching you math and finance were the same people teaching you be like how to be a good dude, how to be a good father, uh, a mm-hmm. good brother, um, a, a, a good everything in life. And to this day, I still keep in touch with five to six professors, some that feel like aunts and uncles, some that feel like best friends. And it was it was a lot different experience than I think I would have got anywhere else.
0: And how did you get into finance at Harding? Like, is that a big finance school? I'm trying to understand, like, where did you learn it's, about finance? What was your first experience? And and yeah, it was
1: well, definitely, it was yeah. definitely meeting um Mr. Monty, the business entrepreneur, as a kid. And I was always trying to, to determine where can I get the most business knowledge. So I was mm-hmm. reading books, talking to adults. But then when it got time to pick a degree, degree in college, I knew I wanted to do business. Mm-hmm. And in business, you had sales, marketing, management, but finance had the most exposure to to everything, such as like. How does, a, how does a business become profitable? Once you become yeah. profitable, how do you allocate that to continue to invest in the business and grow it? And then how do you think about risk and return? So in terms of business knowledge, it was just where the most wealth was, which is why I, I went that route.
0: Got gotcha. you. And, and is that when you decided you wanted to pursue investment banking or did you even know what that was?
1: <laughs> I entered college in August 2014. I didn't know what investment banking was. So August 2016 or something like that, I was in my fifth semester as a junior. I had took my first finance class. It's called Manager of Finance. Mm-hmm. And everybody was like, when you take that class, it's so hard, you don't want to change your major. <laughs> but it was exactly the opposite. I just, I loved every bit of that class. I, you know, studied it to death, was killing curves on tests. And afterwards, my professor, Dr. Sloan, he goes, Zach, you got some in you. Very rarely have we seen a student perform like this. When you come back from Christmas, I want to talk about your career goals, et cetera. And so I was five semesters deep when I finally figured out what investment banking was. Cause what I told him, I was like, Dr. Sloan, I have no idea what I want to do, but I want to get the best business knowledge out there and position myself to take on the most challenging roles in business. And he was like, got to try to get you into an investment, pay, an investment banking program and maybe like an MBA program later down the road.
0: And what was your first step? Right. Cause I know you did a couple internships. Did you said Dr. Sloan, right?
1: Yeah. Dr. Sloan.
0: Dr. Did he a- help you get their first internship?
1: The very first internship came from a church connection named Stacy. She got me a connection with Service Master, which is like a Fortune 1000 headquartered in Memphis. So I did an fp internship, financial planning and analysis there that positioned me to get like one of the gold standard internships on Walmart's campus, which is Walmart based in Bentonville. Um, but prior to that, so I was interviewing for Walmart and this business valuations internship at a regional accounting firm at the same time and walmart gave me an offer first so then i told the accounting firm i'm like hey i really want to get this business valuation experience valuations is my favorite topic like yeah i'm willing to take a semester off come to tulsa oklahoma in the spring and so that's what i did I, like mm-hmm. postponed my whole graduation because i knew that experience would help position me well for investment banking mm-hmm. which as i noted i was kind of late to the game for so yeah
0: and the internship and that uh, you did in memphis so you said that was your first one right before the walmart Yeah, or? yeah so yeah. how did you even, I know it was a church connection, but what was the interview process like, right? Because I know I was in the same position as you where we're doing interviews and internships. Like we think we know what we're talking about, but we, we really don't know that much besides what we learned in our accounting and finance classes.
1: Yeah, that one was very much like, why'd you choose finance? Uh, what are you hoping to learn through the internship? Because it was a corporate internship where you could have been placed in, you know, eight to 10 different financial roles. Yeah. And I just told them I really wanted to understand how the business ran. So I was in they put me in the FPNA group. Mm-hmm. And so it was like why is this person interested? Check the box. And then two, they were asking me different behavioral questions about how I work with a team yeah. and about some of my experiences um in certain group settings in college because it was a very <laughs> team based environment. But it was like a one forty-five minute phone call mm-hmm. for that one.
0: Gotcha. And then once you got in there. Where were you actually? I know you're in an FP&A role, but were you just mm-hmm. doing basic intern stuff, right? Building slide decks, working in Excel?
1: Yeah, that one, I I didn't even touch a slide deck. It was all Excel, like special projects Zach, you know, we got this data that nobody has time to evaluate. Like, mm-hmm. c- can you find trends? Or, hey, we got this workflow process that's pretty manual. Can you write a macro? Mm-hmm. And so I was constantly looking at home warranty data. And because I was the branch I was in was American Home Shield. And so you're looking at the profitability for your warranties on refrigerators and HVACs and things of this nature. So I was looking at profitability by segment and profitability by geo. And I was constantly using Excel and a little bit of Microsoft Power BI, which is another tool mm-hmm. to to solve questions that effectively were sort of like ad hoc was gotcha. the vast majority of it.
0: Gotcha. It makes sense. And then I'm assuming you leveraged this to get the Walmart internship before this?
1: Yeah, a lot of it. I was like, basically, I've been in a corporate environment. You know, I've been in that operational finance seat. Love understanding how business works. Um, A a lot of things of this nature. Gotcha.
0: Because I know Walmart, that's pretty big. So you get into Walmart. Do you think you were more prepared for that, considering you just did the first internship?
1: Yeah, because a lot of business is like, how do you work with people? How do you navigate the politics? And by being at a Fortune 1000, walmart's like a fortune one fortune five at the time uh so so that definitely prepared me with you know how to navigate the bureaucracy and how to work with people a lot more senior than me Mm -hmm. and also articulate my uh analytical takeaways to them in a way that they'll comprehend especially if they're far from the keyboard and, and away from the weeds so yeah got you
0: and then so after walmart what's the timing of this was this your junior spring for walmart
1: yeah, so Service Master would have been summer twenty seventeen. Gotcha. Walmart would have been a year later, summer twenty eighteen. In between those, spring twenty eighteen is when I did the business valuations internship with uh an accounting firm.
0: Gotcha. You basically did like three internships in twelve months, essentially.
1: It, exactly. Because <laughs> I went from like have, <laughs> I went from <laughs> entering my junior year, having only been a youth ministry intern. And then when you think about investment banking, like I had a long way to catch up. So
0: Yeah, trying to persist
1: myself as best I could. Got you.
0: And then, so now the investment banking. When did you, I know you talked about you knew you wanted to get into it, but was there a moment between those internships where it confirmed, like, I really want to get into investment banking?
1: Yeah, uh, there were sort of two things that did it. One is whenever I was listening to people who had been in investment banking and what they went on to do, they went to go to those investment funds or they went to, you know, do the type of jobs I was most interested in, which is like you know valuing companies, how to manage risk and return, um, and get exposure to many different businesses, maybe not just one uh, corporation. And two, like, just the energy that they would move that that they move with. I think about my friend Casey who uh, sourced my investment banking opportunity with with Raymond James. The way we connected, the sort of grind and hunger that we had to uh, be aggressive and pursue things in, in our career, and after completing a year or two of investment banking, the doors that he had open versus the doors he wouldn't have had any shot at if he didn't do it. I was like, okay, I don't know if I want to do investment banking long-term, but I know to get the type of seats I'm interested in, that's going to be a necessary step.
0: Yeah, I think investment banking and consulting, PE, I just don't think there's a lot of roles coming out of college that just prepares you to help you scale your career at an early age. And I didn't do investment banking, but I just think that, I just think that's huge. So, no, I'm yeah. glad you said that.
1: Yeah, I'll, I'll put it this way: like, you know, at the private all the private equity firms I know of, eighty to ninety percent of the classes from investment banking. Same with hedge funds. Same with VCs. uh Well, VC's are a little bit different, but yeah, you, you but get still the, you get the point.
0: But still, more than half <laughs> VC, yeah, invested banking, sure. exactly. So you start Raymond James, and well, first you didn't even intern at Raymond nope. James, correct? So I'm trying to figure Correct. out how did you even get into that?
1: A personal connection that gets your resume into the pool with a like a recommender's mm-hmm. note is the best way. Yeah. You could you can also like you know, you can get a friend of a friend of a friend. Yeah. Uh, that th- can help you out, but that that doesn't go as long. And from then it's about differentiating yourself. So they're going right. to see everybody who's talented and driven and mm-hmm. have succeeded in most things in life, but what makes them think that you'll be a good analyst? because mm-hmm. they know you're likely to leave after two years, but if not, you know, w- w- would you stick around? And so the things I was able to show them was, hey, I postponed my graduation to position myself for this. While I was doing all that, I also like got a math minor to improve my logical thinking. Also took wow. CFA level one, took CFA level one, just, just for the knowledge, just because I'm a student of the game and I'm, I'm really about this. Yeah, And um, I, w- I would tell them stories about how, in order to get one of those intros, my accountant professor made me simulate 80 hour work weeks. So he's like, after you simulate back 80- to back 80 to 90 hour work weeks, then I'll give you an intro to my guy. So you had to log all your like coursework, your part-time work. When when you're reading Wall Street Journal and Market News, put in a log, you'll review it. And then it's like, okay, now, now you understand what the average day looks like or whatever. Wow. Yeah. So it was, you got to go above, beyond to differentiate or, and, and show them like the, the kind of grind and just organic determination you have because they can see through BS with, because they, 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 deal with it all the time. And so when it got to interview time, it started with a phone screening, where there's some bullet plate questions, like, you know, why investment in banking, why industry, a, why city city B, mm-hmm. and then it'll be some technical question. Like, if I had 10 more dollars of depreciation on my PL, how does that impact my three financial statements? Yeah. Or, you know, can you verbally walk me through a discounted cash flow or or some itch like that? And it'll be two separate phone calls. Yeah. And then for <clears> investment <throat> bank in particular, it goes pretty much straight to Super Day. So there'll be like 10 to 12 people there for two spots. It could still be virtual moms in person, but you would interview with all the senior levels and the mid-levels, and there'll be a combination of technical questions from the more junior people. And a lot of fit questions about like your work style, uh, your background, what you're appreciating culture. W- what do you see long term in your career? These will come mm-hmm. from the the more senior members. And if you're able to answer these with conviction and show thoughtful responses and come off as authentic, that's the best way to, to have success in those super days. And yeah. it's, it's so competitive.
0: Oh, yeah. I bet. Yeah. It's extremely competitive. And there's two points I want to make. First, before we go back to the interview, the CFA. So you wanted to do a CFA because you thought it just, you know, set you apart from other candidates. How much do you have to study for that?
1: Man, a lot. Um, <laughs> yeah, I probably started studying January 2018, finished studying August 2018. And if I was on a road trip with friends, I'd be, like, going over questions on my phone while we listen listening to Big Booty Mix on Spotify. I remember, like, um, you know, passing up, I'm not going to pass up top tier social events, but if it's a, not a top tier social event, I might have to pass for a Saturday or, and I'll I get off work from the accounting internship study for two, three hours. Um, if I had to quantify, i say at least a hundred hours plus it was a lot.
0: Yeah. Wow. And how long does the test take where you're
1: actually taking it? Just Somewhere between four and six hours. I think it was all day. Dang, man.
0: Well, that's good. So yeah. back to the interview prep, how long <clears throat> did you have to prep for the interview? If you
1: had the yeah, for, uh, for for banking for banking, yeah, For year analyst, yeah. Uh, to put in length of time is tough. M- maybe I will try to work backwards in the length of time because, in theory, the way I'm thinking about it is, every bullet point on your resume, you got to be able to articulate with conviction and mm-hmm. thoughtfulness
0: mm-hmm.
1: all the bullet play questions that you've heard from peers mm-hmm. and like peers of peers. You want to have answers to those that are so ingrained that they come off as habitual and not like form a lake or trying to recall memory.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. And then more from a technical standpoint, I know you had three internships, right? So you're a little advanced and just the way you're motivated and stuff. I can just tell that you're probably compared (laughs) to other candidates, but from a technical standpoint, right? Learning how to do DCF models, things like that. Do you think you really have to know what that stuff is going into the interview?
1: Yeah, because you got to have a strong handle on it in case they throw a little trick in there. Because if you know the bullet plate one, but they throw a trick in there, you're going to screw it up. But if you know it through and through, and they throw a trick in there, you're gonna knock it out the park like Barry Bonds. So, yeah. <laughs> I, it's been so long. Honestly, I can't remember how long it took me to yeah. get there. But you're talking about you talking about you got to carve out some evenings and some weekends to to get there. Gotcha,
0: gotcha. Awesome. All right. So you get the offer day one. What are you thinking?
1: I was so happy to be there for one and two. I want all the knowledge, so I want to know everything about it. every process, mm-hmm. why we do this, why we do that, and frankly, two months in. I don't care about anything other than can I get my work done and go home, yeah, and and, 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 and hit the puncher <laughs> back for the first time this week. Uh, but yeah, I was just very curious about everything, how we position companies to buyers, uh, what all the the private transaction process consists of when mm-hmm. you're advising the company to sell their business. You know, it, every communication with the client, I wanted to listen into like a fly on the wall and things mm-hmm. of this nature, but. You know after three to six months the process is kind of like rinse and repeat and mm-hmm. you're not learning that much new especially after six months so yeah
0: gotcha and i think it's good education piece for our listeners how would you explain what investment making is in the most basic terms
1: yeah i would I uh, i typically use a, a amazon and whole foods example so a few years ago amazon bought whole foods when before amazon decided to buy whole foods whole foods said hey Investment Bank A, B, and C. I want one of you guys to advise us in the process. Can you tell us why you're the best advisor? Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: Investment Investment Bank A, B, and C would say we're the best advisor because we've sold businesses that look like you to buyers that look like Amazon and these other likely buyers, and we have credentials. Mm -hmm. And then once one of those banks get gets picked, let's say Investment Bank A, Mm -hmm. we say, Hey Whole Foods, this is how much we think your business is worth. This is what we think the strong parts of your business are this is what we think the weak points are and how we'll position them. And here's the 20 to 25 buyers that we think are most applicable to, to buy your business. And we'll mm-hmm. take those counterparties through a process where whole foods will create a marketing document advising or informing the counterparties or the buyers, you know, here's a 50 page deck on everything you need to know about whole mm-hmm. foods to put any, in, any in initial bid. Mm-hmm. They'll put in the initial bid. Uh, We'll pick like four to ten that have good prices and would we'll make good partners, and we give them a financial model, some other data, and what we call mm-hmm. a virtual data room. Mm-hmm. We give them a month to dig through it and give another more like, uh, a bid with higher conviction, like a letter of indication. The first yeah. bid is an indication of interest, um, and so after the the LOI you usually try to go to two to four parties that are well positioned to, to buy the business. Mm -hmm. And if there's one who's really positioned, well, you may give them 30 days of exclusivity to look at Whole Foods, uh, et cetera. So long story short, before Amazon bought Whole Foods, an investment bank walked them through a process where there was probably Amazon, Kroger, Mm -hmm. a bunch of private equity firms, and then it eventually funneled down to Amazon and the investment bank advised Whole Foods for that through that whole process.
0: Gotcha. Awesome. That makes sense. All right. So back to the, the first year analyst. So I know you said in six months, you pretty much got the process down. So you get there day one, I know you're walking through what it's like, like, what are you learning first? Is it just, you just focus mm-hmm. on technicals, focused on the financial statements, even though you did a few internships, you got a base, you understand three statements. What are you actually like? What is your MD put you into the initially start as a first year
1: analyst? Yeah. Honestly, the first year is just blocking and tackling. So it's like, yeah. you know, we're advising a behavioral health facility <clears throat> based in Colorado. We want to make a slide on the MA targets. We need the first year analyst to go find all the uh behavioral health hospitals in Colorado that have psychiatric inpatient. And then how far away are they from are they from the client? How many beds do they have? So this is like what you would consider grunt work or blocking and tackling, but it's like that type of task. It's also like, you know, here's a physician practice management company that has 70 facilities around the Pacific Northwest. Yeah. We need a slide that has a map with all 70 of these, you know, like, shown. like a
0: legit like global map, like a United States map,
1: like like a map of three Pacific Northwest States and you need 70 dots placed that look like a real map. <laughs> like somebody has to do that by hand yeah (laughs) um so so that's that that's where it starts it's like the grunt work that needs to be done Mm -hmm. to put together frankly a lot of beautiful powerpoint slides Mm -hmm. um and after a month or two you start to get familiar with the financial model that typically the second-year analyst or the associate built and you'll be responsible for like building charts and keeping those charts updated for the different presentations Mm -hmm. and just really what i'll consider blocking and tackling it's something that frankly you don't need a strong financial background to do The first six months of the first year
0: yeah uh and
1: and then after that it's like can you block and tackle oh but can you can you also assist in augmenting the financial model Mm -hmm. later in the process or when we get diligence questions from buyers can you help take the first pass at answering those diligence questions especially the ones that are in the weeds of the model Mm -hmm. but like a first year that's six months nine months in would be able to, to to handle most of those questions and take weight off the plate of the second year and associate and, and things of this nature, but you're probably not like really building models in your first year. And you're probably not talking to buyers and stuff like that. Got you.
0: And I think that's great. You said that, how do you stay motivated as a fresh year analyst? Cause in my experience as an analyst, right. You do a lot of grunt work and you feel that it's not important. It like, doesn't matter. It's going to get scrubbed by second year analyst, VP, whoever's above mm. you. So from your standpoint, how do you stay motivated knowing there's, Light at the tunnel.
1: Yeah, I'm, for one, you just got to realize it only lasts so long. So, you know, you, you can do pretty much anything for two mm-hmm. years. Uh, two, you, you can't take anything personally. So, there's right. gonna be times where you treat it like a warm body. there be times mm-hmm. where you, you gave up half of your Thanksgiving day, and then the MD sent the thank you email to the wrong analyst. Right. Whatever, you can't take it personally. It's it's the world. It's it's the world that you signed up for, and. Mm-hmm as long as you're you remembering in your heart why you signed up for it, what your goal is, you know, you'll you, you have the willpower to get there. There, there will be low points. Yeah. Um, but you, you can't let the small things take you off your long-term path that you had very well laid out for yourself Yeah, at the sense. outstart.
0: Makes sense. And were you working a lot of hours your, your first year? <laughs>
1: What's <laughs> funny is I was known for working the least amount of hours, but that's just because I'm like a chill person. If I was there from 3 p.m. to midnight on a Saturday and everybody else was there from like eight to 2 PM. Like nobody would see it. And I would, I would never talk about it, but yeah. First year, especially pre COVID you're talking about like minimum 60 and you know, a lot of times you're up to to 80, 90, easy, easy. And a lot of my peers were up to like a hundred, 110 because the market was so spicy at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But then after COVID hit, that got nuked and Mm -hmm had great work-life balance for about three to six months, <laughs> and then it changed again. <laughs> yeah.
0: And then those hours, right? I like, know it's well known that you guys work 70 to 100 hours. But are you actually, like, typing away in the 100 hours? Or it's you're doing work at 5, 6 o'clock, you send over work um, to whoever, and you receive comments?
1: There's definitely some, some downtime where you're sort of twiddling your thumbs, just waiting on comments that you know, that you know are going to come, whether it's mm-hmm. 8 p.m., 9 p.m., 10 p.m. So... Mm-hmm. But what a lot of days would look like is we'd be sort of clacking on the keyboard to a five or six. The MDs would be eating dinner with their families or whatever. They send comments at nine or ten and we'd just be around to to sort of turn them because we knew they were coming. There was no sense in going home. And so it would be a maybe 30, like a 45 minute or hour family dinner with the bullpen, all the analysts. Um, and then in the downtime you would catch up on stuff that you sort of put on the on the back burner, or maybe like, I don't know, if you like me, maybe you watch and there'll be highlights or something for yeah. an hour. But um, yeah. yeah, so in a 14-hour day, you're probably grinding on the keyboard 11 to 12, though, because as soon as it's time to go, like it's time to go. Yeah. But there's definitely some, some downtime in those days. It's just mm-hmm. you sort of on call, so you kind of count it. Gotcha.
0: Gotcha. Awesome. So through your first year, when was the turning point that you would say you finally gained that trust or respect from um, – your associate or VP for them to ultimately know that, oh, Zach, he gots it. You know, he understands mm-hmm. the process. He, you know, we have a good analyst.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, and this isn't just me, this is for everybody that I saw, but it's typically two mechanisms. One is like, did you preemptively do something that you knew they were gonna ask for that you're probably gonna regret when they asked for it, but did you go ahead and do it anyway? Yeah. They eat that up like a bag of Skittles. I mean, they adore that. So so that's one. And then Uh, the second is like, did you help them solve like modeling problem or. Did you help them build a slide that they were having trouble with? For instance, I remember one time there was a slide for a confidential information memorandum, which the whole, like we're building the marketing presentation for Mm -hmm. whole foods to send to the buyers. Mm -hmm. There was a slide on how this pharmaceutical distributor could vertically integrate and the associates will have this idea. I can't fully formulate it. And then one Saturday. I was able to figure out a nice way to do the slide. And so in terms of my understanding of the business, he's like, okay, Zach definitely understands this client. Mm-hmm. And that led him to like allow me to take more ownership of the diligence stream and mm-hmm. just responding directly to buyers and, and and stuff like that. So it's preemptiveness. And then also if you can show expertise where you can solve a problem that they were struggling with, yeah. th- 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 those are the two things. But just doing what's asked of you like, mm-hmm. over time, that'll definitely get you there but it comes faster with the other two.
0: Gotcha. So you get through your first year and so you start your second year. Where are you thinking going into your second year?
1: You got more rhythm, more confidence. A lot of the grunt work is going to the first year's first and you get Mm -hmm. a second. So that frees you up to to model more. That frees you up to, it cracks it slides that are like executive summary or the more qualitative slides. Mm -hmm. You know, if you build a 75 page deck that you're going to send to buyers, 10 of the slides matter. The other 65, okay. like they're going to read and I, I I read Sims every, every weekend. Yeah. If it's 80 pages, I'm going to read like 10 because mm-hmm. uh, it's just too much. And so you, you're you're starting to write those 10 pages and that allows you to express more creativity. Mm-hmm. It tests your business knowledge more. And so it becomes a little bit more invigorating and, and, and you're able to challenge yourself. And so when it's the second year, I was like, I want to take my time with all these tasks. I want to get back to that organic curiosity and childlike curiosity that I had to get my black belt in business effectively. And that starts by like, not trying to get a task done as soon as I can, but yeah. trying to say, where's my voice in this task? And mm-hmm. I, I, I want to try to perfect it to the point it makes sense with, with it qualifying as a good use of time. Yeah.
0: That's awesome. And then take a step back. Cause I, I know you're talking about the modeling. Cause I think it's good for educational one. I'm just interested. Can you sort yeah. of me through some of the modeling you're
1: doing? Yeah. So my group specifically, we would build detailed operating builds. So for instance, if you got 70 imaging facilities, you would forecast like a certain volume for each facility and then a certain price per volume for each facility or something like that. And so you got this detailed revenue build that rolls up and then you're forecasting like headcount assumptions and expense assumptions to, to, based on historical data, but also input from management on what they expect to happen in the future. So if you know there's going to be a three million dollar tech expense in 2024, you're going to model that in. Or if, hey, we're going to open up, we're going to try to open up three new facilities. Like right now we got 70, but we want to open up three new ones. Mm-hmm. You want to build that in and maybe some flexibility to do three versus 10, et cetera. Uh, and so after the detailed operating build and the expense build, it's about tying together a balance sheet and cash flow, which is more like, you know, investors typically look at that later down the road typically the the revenue growth and the profitability is the first thing they're going to look at which is why it's important to have a detailed revenue bill to say this is where the growth is going to come from yeah in granularity and then all the expense assumptions have to make sense to mm-hmm. under to, ha- to let them have conviction to say hey this business is going to be this profitable and here's what you have to believe to get there mm-hmm. um gotcha. so the income statement is the main thing that you build and, and then the three statements is kind of just like it's not always. It's but it's like sixty to seventy percent of the time you build it.
0: Were you building DCF models as well?
1: So a DCF or LBO in banking is literally like just something you do for a pitch slot. Because w- what you're saying is we think the market is going to value, like you're you're talking to the client right at right. the pitch. You're saying we think the company going to va- the market is going to value your company at eight hundred million to a billion. Yeah. When we ran DCF based on market data, we were shaking out around you know, 600 to 700 million, when we looked at the valuation multiples. So if they're trading on EBITDA and businesses have have been trading on average at 15 times EBITDA, Mm -hmm. 15 to 20 times EBITDA, here's the valuation range. Yeah. And so you're you're using those to back into a valuation range, but you're not using it. So it's like, it's more of an illustrative valuation exercise. It's not like very Mm -hmm. critical component.
0: And I was asking that more just educational piece just trying to yeah yeah get the for listeners sure. understand what a dcs is to the, the importance yeah. of it in your second year actually i know i'm jumping around so for your second year i'm just always interested like, what did you spend your bonus on your first year
1: um uh, man I'm, I'm a big saver honestly i'm a pretty pretty frugal right. person yeah so first year bonus i think i bought a gaming pc and, a, and an electric guitar which frankly i, I would have bought anyway yeah. Um, but w- one cool thing about bonus time is you always do like a bonus dinner where you go to a nice steakhouse or mm-hmm. like and, and maybe you and the analyst get a private room and you just ball out, like have good steak and wine and everything and just tell funny stories. Yeah. And that, that's usually, usually a pretty expensive dinner, but that's also pretty common. Yeah, got you. I've
0: always, I've always wondered that because in the consulting, yeah. we didn't have those, but I know investment bankers. I know that's, that's a real big yeah. thing for
1: you guys. So. Yeah, people definitely buy like Rolexes or Mega Watches, but I, I wasn't really in that camp. Yeah,
0: smart. <laughs> smart. So <laughs> in your second year, when was about the time that you knew you wanted to enter private equity?
1: Yeah, it it was as I was entering my second year, actually, because mm-hmm. it was just – uh, I kind of knew private investing specifically was where I wanted to be just given. Mm-hmm. And especially right now where I am is growth equity, which is perfect because mm-hmm. in, in any given week I'll be meeting see founder CEOs. Mm-hmm. I'll be writing investment thesis. I'll be doing market research. Mm-hmm. I'll be observing a board meeting where like the CEO is reporting to RMDs, <laughs> and I'm getting to see like all the strategic th- thinking, make uh, all the strategic decision making. Yeah. And as, as I said at the outset, one of the main reasons this journey started is because that childlike like curiosity for the business knowledge. And so mm-hmm. private equity is just it's just right with that. Mm-hmm. And um I, I knew banking banking wasn't for me because banking is a little bit less about understanding business fundamentals and more about relationships and running a process. And yeah. also just frankly, just straight grinding, like willing to give up personal life.
0: Just transactions, just getting it done, deal yeah. flow. Yeah.
1: So the virtues. The virtues that made a good banker were different than the virtues that would make like a good uh, private equity investor, even though there's Mm -hmm. definitely a lot of overlap and similarities. And so Mm -hmm. I think the latter was just was just better suited for me.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. And we'll get into that and then take another step back. When did recruiting start for you for private equity?
1: Yeah. So day one, when you start banking, like Hunter's, just always sending you opportunities. So they're like, hey, you're three months in. Here's a job opportunity for 21 months from now let us know if you want to include your resume. Yeah. So there's always traffic. And by the time I knew one, I wanted to go, like I said, was right going into my second year. And so that's when I started finding opportunities. So I started probably July, 2020. Mm-hmm. It's probably when I first started interviewing and first it was like healthcare funds, but then I was like, no, nah, I kind of want to do tech. And so it was about November when I really had probably like five to six interview reps. It's like solid interview reps under my belt from different processes that just didn't work out or or i didn't mm-hmm. want to take and i had all these reps in terms of telling my story
0: mm-hmm.
1: why this firm why this city mm-hmm. yeah here's the portfolio company i find most interesting here's the one i find least interesting and why from an investment standpoint mm-hmm. and um yeah, so i think i finally signed up for a job late november early december 2020 which was mm-hmm. seven to eight months in advance of the start date oh wow that's awesome
0: and I know you said headhunters reach out to you, but were you also sending mass emails and reaching out to people yourself?
1: I, I wasn't at the time just because I didn't have any strong private equity connections outside of people who went to a couple healthcare firms f- f- from my group that were mm-hmm. able to get my resume in and stuff. And I interviewed it at one of those. Um, mm-hmm. But given most people had their success going through headhunters and not necessarily from doing the blast emails etc i chose to, to go that route with what i saw in banking like i only had two connections but if they're strong and like organic and authentic like those go a long way and i figured i'll have more success going that route versus because they're already blast emailing you honestly so yeah. yeah you don't really have to go do too much blast emailing unless you want to go to like a very very specific city or firm yeah
0: makes sense so, and then what was the interview process like for PE versus
1: advanced banking? PE is actually a lot different. So banking is two phone calls and then super day mm-hmm. PE is like two phone calls. Very, very similar. Like Y firm, A, Y city, A, Y industry, a, et cetera. Can you walk me through a paper LBO? Some, something like that. And then it goes to like a modeling test or a case study. So, and sometimes there's a modeling test and a case study. So the modeling test is typically like one to three hours and it's like, here's a set of assumptions or prompts, build a, a short form through statement LBO. So you got like entry price, sources and uses, which is saying like, based on the entry price, uh, use of uses of cash and the sources of cash. I'm so I won't walk through all the details, but then mm-hmm. you go through like a, a mini build where you're forecasting a mini income statement based on some assumptions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you're forecasting mainly the working capital line items, like accounts receivable, accounts payable, Mm-hmm. To come up with, with networking capital and mm-hmm. other aspects that flow into your like summary cash flow statement. So, because income statement balance your cash flow statement. And then, based on how you want to exit, you mm-hmm. have a financial profile at exit based on the PL that you forecasted. Mm-hmm. And you price that to say, hey, you exited this equity value. And that results in this return of money on money. It's the model. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times it's set up to where you can't finish. Like, I feel like a lot of people don't finish. But what they're trying to see in the modeling test is what's this person's Excel fluency, mm-hmm. which concepts of the model that they understand versus what they, they completely did not get wrong. Mm-hmm. And basically they're trying to see if you <clears throat> are fluent in Excel and speaking the language of mm-hmm. an investor, how to think about how to get a return and also how to think about reasonable assumptions. Mm-hmm. And so typically after that, the one to three hour tests, you'll either go to a super day where, where you interview with four to eight senior members, Wow. virtually or in person. And it's a lot about, like, tell me about deals you worked on, how you added value in those deals. And so it's like, very granular and tangible. Mm-hmm. They're, they're criticizing like you model, i can read model it this way. Or mm-hmm. <laughs> they're like, if you had the LBO that company, what would you have paid and why? So yeah. for the PE interviews, I actually built my own LBOs for like three of the deals I worked on. Oh, wow. I was able to walk them through, like, this is how much leverage I would have put, up, put on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So for PE, you really have to, Show that you can think like an investor and how to generate returns, not just like how much you're able to grind, et cetera. Because, you know, it's once again like top 10 to 20% of what was already the top 10 to 20%. So it's like way more competitive.
0: Gotcha. And how long did you have to prep for these interviews? Or was everything pretty much learned at investment banking?
1: Yeah, no, it's, it wasn't learn in investment banking because in investment banking, you're thinking more about how to run a process, mm-hmm. how to build slides how to back into evaluation that you want to pitch for a client or how to back into a total addressable market to show a counterparty but on the back end that buyer is going to be doing all that work themselves and so you're not really learning the actual sausage making and so to flip from running a process to how to have an investor hat is a, is a completely different skill set that's actually like not a very fluent flip and so it takes like thinking like okay, if I wasn't an investment banker, but if I was the buyer, how would I I have thought about the deal that I worked on? Mm-hmm. And this is when it's very valuable to go through all the diligence questions that, that they sent you. This is when it's valuable to create your own LBO and mm-hmm. like how you would value it. Th- th- aspects of this nature.
0: Gotcha. And I'm assuming you were pretty fluent at Excel by this point.
1: Well, honestly, the business valuations internship and the service master internship I was doing all that Excel work and evaluation work to so where, yeah, banking and PE, I was always like ranked strong analytically, the problem. But once again, even then, just cause you got Excel fluency, that doesn't mean you're great at building a one hour LBO. So that's a whole new skill that you got a one practice test that I had. I probably did like 20 reps of yeah, before I could build it in like an hour with mm-hmm. uh, no help from looking at the example or something like that. So yeah. Yeah.
0: And I think that's important because one thing I struggle with in my analyst days is sometimes I was too focused on just building out the Excel, trying to learn the shortcuts, rather really mm-hmm. you just learning the concepts of, okay, how does this income statement, how does this flow into the cash flow? How does this flow into the balance sheet? Um, yeah. So I think that's good. You learned all that at your, your internships. So yeah. your interview with the firm you're at now, how long after did you get the offer after your interview?
1: uh time after the super day
0: yeah after super day
1: yeah my, my mom was a little worried it was the day it was the day after because mm-hmm. i had a competing offer already and i told him i'm like hey you know i'm I'm kind of on the fence like, i got another offer and the deadline is x so if you don't yeah. give me an offer by that time like, i'm definitely gone but yeah. they gave me an offer and then i slept on it one night and had to decide because like i said i had the, the other deadline which was already short it was probably like five days
0: Mm-hmm. And then going back to motivation, how do you stay motivated considering you have what six months left uh on your second year?
1: Yeah, it's it's typically, I mean, it's truly interpersonal within yourself. It's like I know if I try to do black belt level work, like yeah. that's going to reap benefits all the way down the road, and I know I'll have a better grasp over these concepts that I'm working on, mm-hmm. or you know, whatever skill that I feel like I'm a blue belt in, and I'm trying to get a purple belt. Like, mm-hmm. I still want to want to gain that skill set because at the end of the day it's not just about like getting job a and job b it's about yeah. becoming black building business being able to use that influence honestly to just like really give back mm-hmm. and spread a lot of wisdom to people that look like us especially mm-hmm. at this age that we're currently in exactly and um yeah so but but i will also say you know if you got six months left and you got a p job lined up like you know stop and smell the roses you know people mm-hmm. are always being demanded of your time in banking or if you know, Trying to break in, but you already got an offer on top of smell of roses and the task that you already mastered, like don't necessarily take that so serious. If you already a black belt it on evaluation comps, in cap IQ. Like, mm-hmm. Don't try to, <laughs> <laughs> don't try to spend four hours on a task that you can do in an hour and a half. So
0: yeah, gotcha. Gotcha. So now you started this PE role and same question I've asked you, your best main is like, what are you thinking now? uh Your mm-hmm. mindset going into this PE role,
1: It was pretty similar to where I knew, you know, I've met a hundred people now who've told me what PE is, but Mm -hmm. you really don't know until you get in. So I was just very observant trying to say, you know, people have said all these things, but this is how things actually work. Mm -hmm. I feel like every atmosphere has this 80-20 rule where 20% of the the things is what calls to 80% of people's attention. Mm -hmm. So I'm trying to figure out what those things are. A lot of it is writing the investment thesis. Mm -hmm. A lot of it is Blocking, tackling when we got to get data together for our LPs or, mm-hmm. or whatever. But I was really focused on finding that 20%, which was the meat and potatoes of, of the job. Um, and then outside of that, it was understanding the different phases of growth. So mm-hmm. once again, it's the first year doing it. You're doing a lot of desktop research, a lot yeah. of blocking and tackling. But then yeah. once you become a second year, you're like writing investment thesis from MDs or so really asking, you know, how, how you would value a company. A lot of the qualitative info you write on PowerPoint slides is going to get kept and sent yeah. to a CEO or sent to the MD. Mm-hmm. Uh, you get a lot of responsibility really, really fast. And so uh, for me, I was just trying to grow slowly but surely. And every time mm-hmm. somebody gave me a task, really understand it, really try to master it and not try to grow, not not try to grow too fast. But mm-hmm. maybe, maybe the best way to answer this is um, it's this dope sushi documentary called Hero Dreams of Sushi. Yeah. So when you think about a sushi chef, a lot of people think about, you know, piling together the rice and cutting the fish and and hand rolling, but there's so much that goes into it. And so every part of the private equity apprenticeship, I wanted to get a good grasp on in the same way. It's like as a sushi chef before you're like making a sushi in this analogy, like deciding on investment, you got to like clean the dishes, Mm -hmm. be able to wring a hot towel, all the sorts of things. And if you do all those things well, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's only a matter of time until you succeed. And so. Mm-hmm. Kind of kind of had this mindset that didn't want to take any shortcuts.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Once again, if I'm a black belt, at finding a list of construction software companies, yeah. when I do that for the fourth time, I'm not really taking that task seriously, to be honest. <laughs>
0: uh, <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. And I heard in the PE world, you correct me out wrong, as associate, I heard that some people find it difficult at first because it's more of you're doing a lot more, you're doing all the modeling, all the slide deck building, mm-hmm. all the... This everything. So can you kind of walk me through like exactly
1: what you're doing it? Yeah. So in investment banking, as a first year, you're in PowerPoint a lot. And as a second year analyst, you're in Excel a lot. And then mm-hmm. in private equity, it kind of flips. As an associate, you're like doing all the analytics, running all the numbers, all the analysis. And then the senior associates and VPs are doing more of the qualitative info on PowerPoint slides. Mm-hmm. And a lot of your PowerPoint responsibilities is like data. So as an associate, you're really what I'll consider like, like a diligence jockey is what one of my good friends call it. And anytime you get a data mm-hmm. room or if it's time to look at a company, you mm-hmm. get on the keyboard to answer all the key questions that the MD had or the VP had, mm-hmm. uh, and get out in the reads to synthesize all the information. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and a lot of it is 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 XCO-oriented.
0: Mm-hmm. Got you. And what are the hours like relative to uh, investment banking? Uh,
1: the way I... I feel like I've observed this is 50% are in my account, which I'm about to explain. And 50% are in a very similar banking experience type hours. So the 50% in my camp, it looks a lot like <laughs> typically you off the keyboard by dinner time, say 7 or 8 PM during the week and minimal weekend work. Yeah, It's like half the year. And then the other half of the year is when you're on like a live deal or you got some report going to LPs or yeah, you are trying to preemptively run, run at a process. that's not necessarily live yet. And those are gonna look more like you know, nine ten p.m. nights you're off the keyboard and some weekend work, but you can probably mm-hmm. do what you have planned for the weekend. Gotcha. So and but that's like over the course of three years, it's gonna be like fifty percent sort of like the fifty hour work weekend. Then the other fifty percent is probably like you know, mm-hmm. a range between sixty and eighty or something like that. And gotcha. then there's a camp where it's just like a, a grind house and people are still doing eighty to ninety, unfortunately. And are
0: you you really enjoying it? Like can you see yourself yeah. doing this career for a while.
1: Yeah, because as you keep growing, the the job changes. The job changes a lot. Yeah. So, as an associate, you're like a delicious jockey. But as a senior associate and VP, you're talking to more CEOs. Mm-hmm. You get more more exposure to the board, more exposure to the senior level of the firm. And there's just there's such a wealth of knowledge to gain to gain at each promotion. And I I, I want all of that. I think it'll yeah. all be useful to like. Uh, advising friends and family, and then also thinking about how I can influence the community through my career. And if you're an MD, you carry a lot of clout. Uh, it's yeah. easier to get involved in the community. It's easier to to move things in the economic world. So yeah. hopefully I really want to be in that, that seat one day and spread all this love I got piling up in my heart. Uh, but I think I can't emphasize that childlike curiosity enough to where mm-hmm. you get so more so much more exposure to mm-hmm. what's happening terms of strategic decision making um how people evaluate transactions in the market how w- what's actually moving the economy yeah the, the more senior you get because there's a lot of offline conversations that happen and all kinds of stuff like that that you don't really see as an associate so mm-hmm. and yeah, yeah and, and I, 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 like i said i like it enough to where it's it's truly like organically invigorating and
0: mm-hmm. that's more, awesome more, more, And then are you allowed to talk to, because I saw that you're a board advisor on a few companies?
1: Uh, Yeah, board observer. Board
0: observer. So
1: what exactly is that? It means you sit in on the board meeting. You might be able to ask a question if you got a good (laughs) relationship with the management team. But really, you're sitting there like a fly on the wall, which is probably top three favorite parts of the job for me. Because Mm -hmm. I grew up in a place where I was the youngest. I was the baby of my family. Uh, I was always one of the younger people at family reunions, and I would just sit and yeah. listen to grown folks talk. <laughs> yeah, And so I still have that in me. And that's how I feel in these mm-hmm. board meetings where, you know, my MDs are going back and forth with CEOs and the CFOs about the next investment to make in the company, product roadmap. Mm-hmm. How can we grow faster? Do we need to get to profitability faster? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's just so many business concepts being thrown around by black belts in those meetings. And you're literally just sitting there taking notes and mm-hmm. trying to envision yourself being in there one day, mm-hmm. uh, but you, you're just a flaw on the wall. It's a beautiful part of the job. How many, how many boards are you on currently? Uh, three currently. Three? At one point I was looking at like five to six board meetings. It changes from time to time, but it's like two to three is standard. Got you. You're
0: killing it. So what advice do you have for someone wanting to be a PE associate or coming up? First uh, first and how to break into it. And then secondly, once you get on the job, advice you have for them.
1: Yeah. The key to breaking into it is, is find a close connection that's done it before, whether it's a friend or a friend of a friend let them, guide you every step of the way. Uh, You're going to have so many nuanced questions about things that you screwed up in an interview, uh, what to anticipate in an interview and they'll be able to answer like a good 60 to 70%. And it's kind of like having an advisor or a consultant, and without that, it's really tough. Yeah. Um, so that's, you know, th- that's the key. And then the second thing is like, you know, ch- try to find where you have the most organic interest—not like just where people tell you you should be, but what invigorates you. For instance, like I started in healthcare, investment banking, but I really love tech, so yeah. that—that's th- where I ended up. Mm-hmm. If you started in healthcare, investment banking, and you go into healthcare PE because it's just an easier jump. You might not be as invigorated and that could really hurt your long-term outlook and, yeah. and like your willpower and your motivation so that that's another thing to have in mind mm-hmm. but it's also better to break in than to not break in so <laughs> you got to go in get in how you can because it's, it's really yeah. tough give my uh, breaking in specifically
0: gotcha awesome man and then any any last word of advice for you know just people like us getting into finance i know you just talked about getting into PE, but just any advice that you would tell your younger self?
1: Um, yeah, the first is um, we start trying to navigate a challenging career. Definitely know who you are, mm-hmm. like w- 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 what you're grounded in, because it's easy for to like graduate from college or be in between jobs and your mind can see all of this. Mm-hmm. But then you get into the job and the pressure is put on you and your mind is just. It's just like a uh, channel on the one thing, such as like, oh, I really don't want to miss this meeting or, oh, I don't want to screw up this part of the model. And like that one mistake might start affecting like your whole identity and how you see yourself. But for instance, if you like me and you know that all you really care about is loving others and being loved by others, no yeah. matter what happens on the job, you can still grind yourself. Uh, so just just know who you are, and who you want to be and mm-hmm. what happens in the job won't, uh, won't impact your self-esteem as much. and then um. Uh, Secondly, mm-hmm. is like any job you do have, find somebody you trust and that's got wisdom, because they're gonna give you the best advice and how you can like activate the the ambition that you have in your heart. It's hard to activate it without knowing what tangible steps to take. Mm-hmm. The best way to get those tangible steps is to have like a mentor. So I think about like Hunter when I was at Raymond James, and I think about like Greg here at Greyhill, just like. You know, I can ask them pretty much anything under the sun and get a, a unfiltered honest answer that's really going to help me move to where I want to go and where I need to be. So that's another thing that comes to mind. And lastly, I'm actually a big reader. And there's a there's a couple of books I recommend to people. Uh, yeah. One is called The Science of Getting Rich. It just is actually not what it sounds. It's a little two hour read about how to understand how successful people move and how to find basically your own way to start moving like that. And better uh, governing your day to make efficient outcomes to get the or make efficient actions to get the outcomes that you want i, I meet random successful people all the time who, who's read that book yeah and it's only a two hour, two hour read another one's called 48 laws of power it'll just when you're mm-hmm. interacting with a boss it'll just really demystify like how power how much power they have over you and the cryptic actions they make you'll just be able to see straight through it honestly and come off as less intimidated than mm-hmm. a lot of your peers and then another one is that is Deep Work by Cal Newport's five mm-hmm. to six hour read about how to really put yourself in a mindset to to do very crisp and clear thinking and not care about you know small bad things happening so mm-hmm. a lot of times we let fear of judgment from others really distract us like we're working to like not disappoint a boss or we're working to like not be judged by a period <laughs> that will criticize our work but you know if you find ways to really like fine-tune to being in a calm focused state it'll allow you to to put on put put on the best work and it'll result in some some unconventional outcomes like sending a model to an MD and they're like mm-hmm. never have I seen a model from an associate where I had no comments like this is great or yeah putting together a write up for an MD and they're like you know this is honestly above senior associate work or yeah. you know w- w- whatever so mm-hmm.
0: that's awesome Zach it's been good I appreciate yeah
1: you. I appreciate you having me on Miles uh it's an important topic so I'm I'm glad to participate man.
0: Yeah, man, it's been awesome.